This is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. Thanks for joining us. Reading scores for students in Florida schools and across the country have been declining for at least the past decade. And the latest test results taken after the COVID pandemic show that 47 percent of Florida's third graders are not reading on grade level. Data shows that if a student is struggling in third grade, they are very likely to struggle in middle school and beyond. Eighty percent of high school dropouts were struggling readers in third grade. In the new book, America's Embarrassing Reading Crisis, what we learned from COVID. Dr. Lisa Richardson-Hassler explores reading proficiency among third graders both pre- and post-pandemic and compares established virtual learning methods like those used by Florida's virtual school with traditional brick-and-mortar schools. Dr. Richardson-Hassler teaches second grade at Epiphany Cathedral Catholic School in Venice and has spent two decades in the classroom. Her research shows that over the past several years, Florida virtual school students have scored higher on the statewide third grade reading exam than in-person students. In her new book, she makes the case that there are lessons to be taken from the sudden implementation of online learning that happened during the pandemic and that thoughtfully blending online learning with brick-and-mortar learning could help turn around the decline in reading proficiency we're seeing in Florida and around the country. I spoke with her on Tuesday, June 21st. Let's hear that conversation now. Dr. Richardson Hassler, thanks for being here today. Yeah, absolutely. My honor. Thank you for having me. We invite you to weigh in on today's conversation using WGCU social media channels. Just find us on Facebook. We're at WGCU Public Media there. And then on Twitter, we're at WGCU. And then just use the hashtag GCL. So for starters, how long have you been a teacher? I've been in the classroom for this is going to be my 19th uh, year. And I've been in the field of teaching for about 21. So started off as um I actually went back. I was in I was in engineering with UPS and um, wanted to go back to school to finish my degree in education. And I was an aide in fourth grade. And um, yeah, I just I worked my way through, and I've I've seen and experienced a lot of different areas between working one on one with students with autism all the way through gifted programs in a K through six setting. The most of my time has been in first and second grade. Why did you decide to write this book? So I went back for my doctorate. I went back to school, and I needed a topic for my dissertation. A friend of mine was on the school board, and he was facing the problem as, um, of course, our state and, and many uh, educational leaders are in this country with with reading rates and how to improve it. And he had a valid question, knowing that I was um, – I have a master's in online teaching and learning. And so we just said, hey, you know, what do you think about the virtual schools? And how do you think their effectiveness is with our reading, you know, when, as it impacts uh, third grade reading achievement for the kids in our state? So I thought that it was a pretty interesting topic. I actually went to um, my university and I did a lot of research on it, just looking for has this topic ever been researched and what information is out there when it comes to studies, and there was none. So there was a very large gap in the literacy, and so this was a way for me to be able to fill that literature gap. Can you explain why being able to read by the third grade is such a crucial milestone? Okay, so as it happens, third grade switches from we stop teaching children how to read Uh, you know, in third grade. So we really focus on that K through two. We're giving the building blocks of phonemic awareness and vocabulary. And and we're really, we're really focusing on those skills on how does someone read. 
And by third grade, that switches. And we start as an educational system, this children start reading to learn, not learning to read. And so we, we need to switch it at that point where children are now reading on grade level and they're reading the content to gain knowledge and then to be able to, you know, to work through that knowledge and to gain a deeper understanding. And so the way that our educational system works is just that this is when that shift happens. It has to happen at some point, and this is just the time that it does. And we found that at that point, children who do not have those, those fundamental building blocks of a solid reading base really struggle at this point. And also, something happens in the brain in third grade where the intense interventions stop being as effective. And so a child who, if identified with um, a learning disability, would be identified later in life, so after third grade, third grade or not, they would, the same interventions that would have been given to them had they been younger, K through two, just have shown to be less effective. So they're working harder towards less of a gain. Third grade reading proficiency, though, is also linked with student success later in life, both academically and economically. And so we know that a child that is struggling in third grade at reading will struggle going into middle school with those changes. They'll struggle in ninth grade with those demands and changes. And then they have a higher likelihood of dropping out of high school. So 80% of high school dropouts were struggling readers in third grade. And those students that drop out in high school have the earning potential of half of what their peers do. And then, of course, being able to move on from that, seven out of 10 adult prisoners do not read above a fourth grade reading level. So the, the, that academic indicator links all the way back to third grade reading proficiency. So it's just, it's a very profound link and it's something that we need to be really paying attention to. And I think the nation is they are looking at it and, um, you know, people are trying to figure ways to solve that and to close that gap. Um, the problem is that COVID didn't help during this time. Um, it seemed like, of course, our reading levels went down, except in one area. And that was what was so interesting about this research was that it was pre-COVID when I began looking and comparing at virtual school success for students in second grade for third grade reading achievement. And I was comparing the data, and at that point, um, the virtual students that had gone through um, virtual school and then taken a, uh, a state-standardized assessment in English language arts actually were scoring, um, they were outperforming the face-to-face brick-and-mortar students in our public schools. And this is for the state of Florida. So it was, a, it was profound because you know, people would not have necessarily considered that to have been the case. And it was proven. And so this was going five years back in um, pre-COVID data through the Department of Education. And then during COVID, or I should say that right after, so right after it hit, this would be the fall of 2020, I interviewed teachers from across the country, surveyed them, and I found that they felt the exact opposite. They felt that face-to-face students outperformed virtual schools. They felt that the English language arts curriculum for a virtual school was 
um, not as equitable as a um, English language arts curriculum in a brick and mortar school. And so I think that there was a misconception across the um, educators in America that felt as though it was not as good for our children. When during this time, 2020, we did not test for, um, for the state standards that was dismissed at that point. But then 2021 came through and we saw that actually the gap continued to grow. And so while the face-to-face went down in the reading performance, the virtual school actually increased and their enrollment um, just about doubled. And so even with more students, they were able to continue to outperform and they grew. And then that was, there was a gap between almost 18% achievement gap between our virtual school children here in Florida, FLVS, and our brick and mortar students in third grade. So that was profound that um, even during this pandemic, the, the growing, you know, while we declined as face-to-face, we still continue to outperform and in, and in fact um, continue to grow in achievement for our virtual students. And then we just got the, um, the latest numbers where it's showing that now instead of the 44% of third graders in Florida not reading on level, we're not 47%. So it's time for us to start using some of the things that we've learned during this time, which is why the research was so valuable to see that this could be a way to help close that achievement gap and to help our kids perform on level faster so that they can have a better life. So are the kids who take Florida Virtual School, which is a online learning mm-hmm. platform that's been around for like 25 years, right? Um, right, yeah. uh, So there, that's the data set that's showing you that they read better on average than kids who go face-to-face. Um, the COVID pandemic yeah. obviously put us into a position where a lot of kids started doing online learning, virtual learning, things in a way that they weren't used to. Teachers were, in a way, not used to it as well. Are the kids who did online learning during COVID, did they benefit from that virtual learning experience in the same way that the kids in the Florida Virtual School are benefiting from it? Do you understand what I'm asking? So you're asking if the virtual school that the face-to-face students had was it as beneficial to them as the Florida virtual students? Yeah, I'm just virtual? I'm just wondering if the you know if the Florida virtual school model's been around a long time. There's kids that have been in that model since they yep. were in kindergarten, um, and then the kids mm-hmm. who had to suddenly go home and do either time shifted learning or Zoom learning or whatever um, are those mm-hmm. are those apples and apples or are they are those not? I would say no. I think that um, the students that were at the virtual school did had benefits. And I believe that that's based in the training from the teachers. And the teachers have the training to be able to use that platform in the way that it was intended by using theories and strategies and even curriculum and software programs that are meant to be in that medium. Whereas the face-to-face teachers, I don't believe, have that the same type of access to the knowledge or the, the programs that the virtual teachers do. So what I mean by that is we have, at, as a face-to-face, and I say we because I teach face-to-face second grade. You know, I went virtual like everybody else, and then I did concurrent 
And um, I know that my background in having an online teaching and learning degree helped me significantly. But without that degree, how, how would a teacher know the different methodology and the theory behind even transactional distance um, that would be like, you know, Michael Graham Moore's theory of transactional distance and how it would apply to learners that were learning from home. How do you bridge that distance gap and how do you teach them using this platform? So without that knowledge, the teachers um, were at a disadvantage that they didn't know the right theories and strategies that could have helped them and helped their students. And also, you know, the software that we were using and the programs were all meant for face-to-face classrooms. So they were meant to have, you know, teachers monitoring them. It was meant to be in a classroom structure if it was online teach, you know, if it was online programming. And then the rest of it was open up your textbook. You know what I mean? We're going to follow this through. And it was your face-to-face strategies that, you know, that they were instructed and trained in back at the university level. And so the university level needs to catch up and include distance education as a way to help train our teachers for not only for what we think may happen again or what could happen again, or but it's really just, it's here, it's now. Distance education is just a part of the educational system as we've seen even with the college. Um, at the college level, it really began there. And then it, it had this trickle-down effect, but now we can see that everyone can benefit from it. It is very useful. And there's a lot of different ways that we need to be able to take advantage of it, especially if it's reaching students in a way that we would have never thought possible. So when you're looking at the data and breaking it down into the different types of um, situations, so like low socioeconomic status and our subgroups, we're seeing that in traditional schools, there are achievement gaps between certain groups that actually we're doing much better in a virtual education platform than it was face-to-face. And then, you know, there's the question of, well, why? You know, why is this doing better? And so it comes back to, you know, possible high expectations from the teacher who is not sitting face-to-face in front of a student, but as a broad um, net of students that are across an entire state and that their expectations are not based on socioeconomic status. They're not based on neighborhood expectations or, you know, um, it's, it's really meant for, you know, high expectations for every child because, you know, they have the, the, the backing behind them to say that everybody can achieve at this level. And so there's none of that predetermined bias that, you know, may be existing. So I think that it's a way to uh, level a playing field and to have equitable education in, in people's homes. And it's a way to be able to bridge some of those opportunity gaps that we're seeing. I want to take a moment to reintroduce our guest, Dr. Lisa Richardson Hassler, is author of America's Embarrassing Reading Crisis, What We Learned from COVID, and a second grade teacher at Epiphany Cathedral Catholic School in Venice. In this new book, she digs into the numbers around reading proficiency for third graders in the state of Florida. The latest test results show that 47% of Florida's third graders are not reading on grade level. But in the book, she also explores where virtual or online learning has fit into the state's education system and how the COVID pandemic really put 
put online learning to the test and how what we learned from the COVID experience could or maybe should help shape the future of how young people learn to read. If you'd like to engage with us about this conversation or any of our shows, we invite you to do so using WGCU social media. On Facebook, we're at WGCU Public Media. And on Twitter, we're at WGCU using the hashtag GCL. So I think, would it be fair to say that one of the goals of this book is to um, demonstrate that virtual learning has benefits that are real and encourage policymakers and educators and you know administrations to take virtual learning seriously in such a way that we can blend it with the way we've always done it mm-hmm. in the most effective way possible. Is that a fair assessment? Yes, I would agree with that. I also think that so while there's the you know, um, there's the policy piece on how we need to change the way that we are training our teachers to include uh, distance education as part of their training. Um, But also, even if they were to walk away and to not have a virtual classroom per se, those theories can still be placed into the face-to-face classroom to help bring that up, to help elevate that. And that was a portion of the Um, The teacher chapter was how do you implement that for improvement in your student body's reading success now? And so I think that there's some very solid advice. There's there's that blend theory and practice into, into today's teaching world and how any teacher can benefit from using those to help increase the the reading of their, uh, their students. So those are things that they could be doing now. There's also a parent portion because parents are the ones that are supporting the children through this process of either um, learning online and how do you support an online learner because the skills are not inherent and they're skills that are different than what the parents have learned through their educational experience. And so they need to know what they should be doing as a parent to help support their child and and help them achieve. And then I also um, look at the reading component piece and how do parents even support their child during that reading process? And, and, you know, what are some checklists for them? How do they support their early reader? And how do they get them reading with success? You know, things to be looking for and advice as to what they could be doing at home. You know, and you do give very specific advice, you know, for teachers. And you talk in detail about, you know, the way virtual learning models can be set up and the things that teachers should be thinking about in order to be most effective, and then also for parents. So Mm -hmm. as a parent of a high school student myself, I thought it was really interesting that you, you know, you don't just stay in there in the sort of the amorphous theory part of it. You go very much into the details of, you know, what you see as being necessary. Yeah, and I think it's really important to be able to transfer that into this isn't just um, a research project. It's not a dissertation that's meant to sit on a bookshelf or something and and dismiss. The reason I went into writing um, the book about this and to update it with the current information was to really to get the word out there that there are three big parts to, to this reading problem that we have the ability to fix. And so while we're looking at the reading crisis as the root of, of the book, you know, why do I want the message to get out there? This, it's not new. The reading crisis has been out there. We've known about this for over 20 years. And so the information is not new. The numbers change every year. The, you know, COVID was thrown into that. But overall, 
you know, look at the viability of how can we actually make a change, look at the viability of the virtual education system as a way that we can improve it. And then also what are the what are the three our three big stakeholders in this? And that is of course we have our um, educational leaders when it comes to policy and how we are training our teachers, the policies with teacher certification and the policies of I've got a child that has just failed the early reading literacy test for kindergarten that our state requires. And now what am I going to do with it? Because that really needs to change as well. So that's a big piece of it, of how we're not serving our children good enough and how we can get better. And then as a teacher to say, all right, well, you may not be able to control the fact that you may not have the money to go back for your master's or your doctorate in educational distance education, but what can, um, and the state may not pass a policy that says that we all need to get on board and to catch up, but what can I do right now as a teacher, because I want to do the best for my kids, so what can I do right now in my classroom to help that? And then as parents, as stakeholders and their children, what can I do as a parent to help this? You know, what's my role in it? How do I support my my student at home um, learning virtually? How do I support them as a reader? And so I think that those are three big pieces, and we all have a really important role into how we can help fix it. So the book is, is not only to state the problem, but it's also to pave a way to the solution. Um, we only have a couple minutes left, so this can't be a very long answer, but you know, you've been a teacher for quite a while. I don't think we've fundamentally changed the way we teach kids to read. Do you see any outside forces no. that have led to this decline? I mean, is it is it screen time? Is it does it have to do with technology? Is does it correlate along those lines? Uh, you know, I've seen it in my classroom. I I know that just as a teacher, I had forty three percent of my student body just coming in to um, my room that was not reading on grade level. That by far was the the largest I have seen in my career, and I was able to bring that down to sixteen percent um, upon them leaving. So I feel as though the methods work and that that there was definitely ways that could have been improved. And that's the parent and policy piece that I'm really driving towards helping improve because to me, that 16% should have been zero and I would have done anything to make that happen. But I don't know why it's happening. Are we allowing so much screen time that we're not giving our children the ability to have that contemplative deep thinking being able to not have immediate feedback all the time, but to actually struggle with, with learning. Sometimes I see that, that people want to jump in and save their child fast so that they don't go through that struggle, that internal struggle and that frustration. But sometimes we need to do that in order to be able to come out on the other side and to actually achieve. And then there's that, well, you know, how much and for how long. But I don't know. I think that, that that's a really important piece. And that actually was was something that I was hoping to gain more from. But I would say that the virtual education system is using a platform that is using, you know, a internet-based computer system and that they're successful. So maybe it's the amount of time that we're having it and the quality. Well, that is all the time we have, unfortunately, but I want to thank our guest, Dr. Lisa Richardson-Hassler, is author of America's Embarrassing Reading Crisis, What We Learned from COVID, and a Second Grade Teacher. Uh, Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me.
If you missed any of today's show, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website, wgcu.org slash gcl, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our show today was produced by yours truly. Our director today is Jared Gonzalez. Our social media coordinator is Tara Calligan. For now, thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. This is NPR for Southwest Florida, 90.1 WGCU-FM, Fort Myers, Naples, and Port Charlotte, and 91.7 WMKO Marco Island. We're a member-supported service of Florida Gulf Coast University.